0: what what else what else could we give human sexy proportions uh, certainly not sam but <laughs>
1: <Damn>. <laughs> i am your host samuel hansen and you are listening to combinations and permutations episode 54 brought to you by acmescience.com On this week's episode, we get together to discuss the wonderful world of logic, the embryonic algebraist logicist, and Cold War eras. Here we go. Hello, and welcome to Combinations and Permutations, the mathematical podcast. That you all know and love. Honestly, that, that's all that matters. It doesn't matter where we're from. doesn't matter where these sultry and wonderful voices, well, my sultry and wonderful voice and everyone else's, uh, is coming to you from all that matters is that we are here to make you laugh, to make you cry, and to make you love mathematics.
2: Good luck with that. <laughs> Are you running for president?
1: Uh, of, of the AMS. Uh, it's, it's a little bit unheard of uh, for someone who has one non-major paper, does not have a doctorate, has never been a professor, and is not you know the chair of some department somewhere. But I think that I might be able to pull it off due to my magnetic personality. And by magnetic, I'm referring to the negative end that tends to repel everyone from me. Um, Well, if
3: you have my endorsement, I think you'll do it. Okay, (laughs) Okay,
1: so you've already heard all of the voices of the people on this podcast uh, because, well, that's the way this is going to work today, apparently. Uh, And I guess now would be a good time for me to interview them. Wow, I'm terrible. Introduce them. First up, we have Ahmed Best better better known as the guy who uh, played and voiced uh, Jar Jar Binks. Welcome to the show, Ahmed. <laughs> okay, really, out. that's Chris Bates, everyone. Uh, you, you already <laughs> probably guessed that, but... Uh, he does a really good Jar Jar Binks voice. And by good, I mean terrible, because that character was fucking terrible. Next up, uh, just Nathan Rowe. I got no superlatives for him. Hello. And finally, <laughs> the man who... There is no superlative to properly describe how incredibly awesome, amazing, and just wonderful he is. The man with the official beard of combinations and permutations, as well as the champion of the 50th episode game show, Mr. Cody
3: Palmer. Oh, thank you. And to honor my opponent in that, in that contest, Nathan, Who lost? I, I would say that... You say there's no superlative for Nathan
0: Rowe. I say Nathan
3: Rowe is in of itself a superlative.
0: Ooh. Wow, I am Cody, I am honored by your statement.
2: It means loser. I think I think it's a greeting card idea.
0: Oh I, I'm good. Getting... Chris, you should work for Hallmark. I do. Okay. okay. <laughs> Wait, good. good, good, good. Can you get th- me discounts on
2: Birthday greetings. Oh, shoot. We got Hallmark cakes, man. <laughs> Three-dimensional cards.
3: <laughs> you know when I really need birthday card greetings uh, discounts is in September because apparently everybody I know has a birthday in September. Well, almost everybody I know.
0: I have to – I do – I mean a lot of September birthdays make sense. What's nine minus uh, nine? Zero. Zero. January December?
1: It, d- December <laughs> and January. Yeah, the, the dark months. Well, January, term. actually, because you'd go from, like, the 15th of January, nine months from then, would be the 15th of September.
0: I think nine months from the 15th of January is the 15th of October. Fuck. Does this affect the birthday <laughs> problem at all? No. Yeah, so anyway, Christmas, uh, Christmas lays, if you know what I mean.
3: Uh, well, I, I guess, and <laughs> they, I, they were actually saying that because I guess everybody's <laughs> bored at that time of year, and so they, um, well... I think I think we all know what goes on. I so, think
0: it would be really fun to have like a frequency analysis of every single day for births or whatever. And then and then you can just subtract ninety you know, subtract nine months or whatever and see the frequency analysis for conception.
1: <laughs> well, in I can give you at least good anecdotal evidence that uh the most common birth months in the north are uh September, October, and November. Uh because that's when people don't leave their houses in Wisconsin. Really, I mean, you got to do something to keep warm for one. And what better way to keep warm than fucking uh, or drinking, which then, of course, leads to fucking. Uh, and also, you got nothing better to do with your time. Really, what are you going to do? Read math articles? Maybe. Yeah. maybe okay. yeah, yeah, that yeah. sounds good. about all I can do. How many kids do y'all have? <laughs> I uh, no, I
2: can't I can't what, promise what's a anything.
1: Kid? <laughs> 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 a young goat. Yeah, uh, yeah. I
0: was gonna say a baby goat. <laughs> no, um no, I, I, I don't know. I I wonder if there's if like Valentine's Day has a has a spike or if it oh, has yeah. like a, a anti spike because I think that people are more likely to have enraged their significant other yes. by mm, failing to Yeah,
1: and then you get the makeup fucking.
0: But that that'd be the day after.
1: But it'd still be around. <laughs> but it would still be around nine months. From yeah.
0: Them. So there might. Yeah. Since and especially some Especially when you it mix
1: it up with the North, where it's also cold at that time. I don't know, I've already explained how fucking and cold Corland.
2: I know why they don't have holiday potato chips. I didn't quite get it when you said Christmas lays. I was like,
1: what? I actually uh, I actually thought you meant uh Lays as in the flower necklace was, from Hawaii. That was the first place
0: I went. <laughs> yes, yeah, like I, Christmas Lays.
1: Like I mean for some odd reason that seems like a thing. Maybe it's a thing in Hawaii.
0: Could be. Could be. But Okay.
1: Uh so on combinations and permutations recently, I've been begging and pleading all of our listeners to please go to iTunes, segment combinations and permutations, and leave us a review there. Really, I the more reviews we have there, the higher we'll show in the iTunes store and the more people can find out about us. So, really, it would be fantastic for you to leave a review so that people are more capable of finding us about, uh, and also are able to find out what you think about us.
0: How many reviews do we have?
1: I, I'll get to that in a second. Uh, and, uh, and also, if you leave a review, I promise that your name, or at least whatever name you leave on the review will get read out on air. And if you leave the name of your favorite guest here on Combination and Permutations, I'll make them read it.
0: Whoa. (laughs) Pressure. Yeah. I'm going to make some name like... like...
1: I don't care if you review the podcast. If you review the podcast (laughs) and you give me less than four stars, I'm going to kill you. Actually, if you give me less than five stars, I'm going to kill you. Let's be honest about this. And I have plenty of opportunity. You sleep like... 20 feet from me.
0: I think I'll, I'll name my, make my iTunes account name, Sam likes little boys. And then leave, Uh, leave a favorable review, especially about Sam. Yeah. I'd be totally
1: uh, fine with that. I have no, I have no issues with reading that out at all, actually. Uh, And also, you know, tell your friends, most of you are, you know, undergrad mathematicians, high school mathematicians, uh, graduate students, professors, maybe. Uh, I mean, you are all have friends who also like math. So make sure to tell your friends to also listen to this. We really want to get more listeners want to get a more active community. Oh, and also uh, I want everyone who's listening to stop, pause this podcast right now, go to your email and send an email to Samuel at acmescience.com that has no body. And the subject line says, I listen and I hate you. I'm just trying to see how many people I can get to do this. I've had a few so far. Uh, including my contributor on math, my math maths podcast, uh,
0: Peter Rowlett, who apparently hates me as well. Okay. So the, the the problem with what you just asked them to do is you said pause the podcast right now. So if they pause it, how the hell are they going to even know? I mean, well, how will they that, get the instruction? Now that you
1: unpause it, i assume pause I'm it, pause it again now, <laughs> <laughs>
0: and do yes,
1: yes. No. Uh, but we have uh, we have had a few reviews. And I will go into who left them now. Uh, First up, as a review from Canada from a while ago, uh, whose title says, interesting and compelling. It's from uh, Shirek Han. It says, unique topics, interesting stories shared from math lovers to math lovers. Only four stars, but thank you, Canadian listener who did this well before I gave out my instructions. Uh, but since since I've given out my instructions, I have had two reviews from people. Neither of them specified a guest, which means that I am required to read it out, because that's what I said I would do. Uh, and the first one, the first one comes from uh, someone who talks to me on Twitter a lot, uh, J.M. Stitt. S-T-I-T-T. Uh I don't know know if you should bother following him. Honestly, he's a little bit mean on Twitter. He says I'm mean on Twitter. I'm just responding to him. I want to point this out. And he titled his review, Samuel Hansen Kills Kittens. Sounds Uh, about right. But he gave us five stars. uh, And then goes on to say a lot of really nice stuff about us. Uh, Maybe about all of you and not really about me. But uh, it's just, in general, very nice stuff. So thank you. Uh, J.M. Stitt. And then next up is Blue Combats, who is also a listener of uh, the Math Maths podcast. Uh, uh, he didn't leave, or he may have left his actual name. It was James Clare. Good guy. I hope to meet him when I go over to England in about a month. And he left us a review titled Swearing Maths and Weird
0: Dreams.
1: (laughs) Which, honestly, is a really damn good encapsulation of what this podcast is. In about that order.
0: Where... What weird dreams does it give him weird Cody? Mine, mine my weird dreams. I I'm the
3: one. With had weird any
1: dreams. recently? What what was last night like in dreamland for you?
3: Um, I actually regrettably cannot remember at the moment. Oh. So Cody. I am I am sorry. I had stayed up late and fell asleep reading abstract algebra, so that doesn't oh. really That doesn't really <laughs>
1: That's not really a good Good oh. fodder
3: for uh, for for productive dreaming.
1: No, okay. Uh, I do want to mention one thing from James's review. Uh, he says the host is obviously brilliantly deluded.
0: Ah. <laughs> like this guy already. <laughs> Very ob- observant. I
1: I think that that is the nicest thing anyone has ever said about me. <laughs> I might be deluded, but I'm deluded in a brilliant way.
0: I I'm not sure if I mean nev- nothing. <laughs> yeah, you're gonna
1: stop right there, Nathan. I have mute buttons.
2: Diluted, never diluted.
0: Yeah, you can never be watered down, Sam. Um. Okay. All right. That's that's, that's something.
2: Hallmark. <laughs>
1: So we might as well get on to uh, what we're actually supposed to do here. But remember, if you leave an iTunes review, I will probably make fun of you, Uh, but you will get your name mentioned on the air, which is a good idea, right? Like, you want to be at least partially internet famous like us? We are partially internet famous? Yes. If you search our names in Google, the things that were... Well, if you search anyone on this podcast name in Google, things that I wrote show up. (laughs)
0: Actually, um, there, there, was a, there was a Nathan Rowe designer or something like that. So there's like a NathanRowe.com, and it's his, his like artwork and his resume or something like that. So um, Oh,
1: you haven't been on as much recently. Uh, I now have been actually putting everyone's name in every show right up on AcmeScience.com. Uh, and uh, so now more of us show up. Yeah, you're not even in the first three pages. You have a useless...
0: Yes. Also, also, I deleted my Facebook, so that won't show up either. That was a while ago. Uh, Sad day for Facebook, truly.
1: No, not not actually. No one cared.
0: Uh- <laughs> That's true. I, I. So many people have been like, "What? You don't have a Facebook anymore?" And I was like, "Yeah, it was." four months ago but you know i know who my real friends are
1: (laughs) (laughs) okay uh so on this podcast we don't just talk about the people who talk about us even though that is my favorite topic actually my favorite topic is myself but my second favorite topic is people talking about me uh but my third favorite thing to do on this show is to talk about
0: math oh i thought you were gonna say cody Cody's great to talk about.
1: He doesn't have his foot in my crotch right now. I'm not going to give him nearly as wonderful a thing as uh, during the introduction when his foot was in to, my crotch.
0: To, 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 to
3: everybody listening, my foot has never been and never will be anywhere near Samuel's <laughs> lower regions.
1: <laughs> I didn't say my lower regions. I didn't say your foot was on my ankle. His nethers. <laughs> I'll never be near his nethers. Uh, He'll be twixt my nethers. Uh, Gross. <laughs> Uh, so we always come up with some sort of topic instead of, really, this this show has gone completely off the rails at this point. Wow. Uh, but I'm having a great time. So what's our topic? I don't think, I don't think Nathan's having a great time. How about you, Chris? You having a great time?
2: I'm trying to think of new greeting cards. Here, let
1: me put my foot in your nether regions.
2: (laughs) That's not my nether region.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yep, there we go. Uh, So Chris is having a good time. Cody? I know Cody's having a good time. (laughs) I don't think I've ever not had a good time around me. Uh, and so, yeah, yeah, around me specifically.
0: Well, it, it, if... But the,
1: actually, actually, if that statement was true. Yes, if that's he is, what I was getting at. So, yeah, go ahead. Point that out.
0: Okay, well, his original statement would imply that your statement was true. Since if he's never had a bad time, he also has never had a bad time around you. Which
1: is a wonderful illustration of mathematical logic, which surprisingly is our topic for today. Oh, boy. <laughs> Yay. I didn't tell anyone this beforehand. That was, that was a really good illustration of it, though. So mathematical logic is, is just, I mean, it's, it's a formal study of logic. Mathematical logic and formal logic are the same thing now. But that was not always a true statement. For a long time, formal logic was not actually brought into mathematical logic. It was actually the favorite uh, calculus creator of the show, Leibniz, uh, who was the f- one of the first people to try to uh, bring mathematical uh, mathematics and formal logic together. But before then, uh, if you want the first person to really do formal logic in at least a partially mathematical way, you really have to go back to Aristotle. He was the first one to introduce uh, algebra into uh, logical statements, but he was still obsessed with the meaning of statements.
0: I thought that there that algebra Greeks didn't have algebra. They had algebra was invented in like the 10th century AD by an Islamic mon- man named like the, Algebra. Did, <laughs> algebra, <laughs> actually. Al- algebra.
1: Yeah. Uh, well he was the one who formalized it and wrote it up. It was actually uh probably done over the few centuries before that it was just he was the one who really tied it all together uh, but it, they didn't have algebra in a mathematical sense but they still had it in that at least aristotle had it partially in the idea you can take something you can take something out and you can replace it with a variable and then manipulate it uh and then you can put it back in so at least he had that sort of idea which the greeks also had. i mean think about diophantus
0: that's true. We have a Diophantine equation, but if they didn't have equations in algebra, they, anyway they, they had some way of describing this yeah. this relationship. Sure. Yeah.
1: And so then I mean that was that was Aristotle and then it moved on there's also a formalizing of logic done in India to, around the same period. And uh, then uh, you know the Greek era, Greek area and the Roman area went dark. Uh, and then the logic moved on to the Islamics, uh, and remember they were the ones who had who had kept uh, the most of the Greek and Roman texts. They were the ones who had managed to actually keep copies, and so they they had the Aristotelian logic to work from. And apparently they expanded it some. I, I, I'll admit when I was doing some research for this, I kind of skipped over a lot of the history of logic in general and t- tried to study more of the you know mathematical side. And then uh, there's medieval medieval uh, Europe. They had some logic. And then we get into the modern logical period, which is the period we actually want to talk about.
0: Medieval, medieval Europe logic <laughs> brings to mind uh, Monty Python and the Holy Grail. Yes, with the, with <laughs> with the, the witch. Yeah, the, the witch. That was a, uh, what Cla- do we classic, do with
3: witches? Classic yeah. media. Burn them! <laughs>
1: <laughs> what? Witches float. So, if they weigh the same amount as a duck, there you it's go which <laughs> yeah.
0: uh, QED. Q-E-D. Q-E-D. Yes, Q-E-D.
1: <laughs> okay, and so now now that we kind of skim that uh made a Monty Python reference uh we are up to modern logic now there are according to the Wikipedia article in the history of logic, there are five periods of modern logic the embryonic period uh which is uh when some people are mentioning that we should formalize logic, but they're not really getting anywhere. That would be, say, Leibniz. Leibniz. Never remember how to pronounce that guy's name. Uh, then there's the algebraic period, the logicist period, the metamathematical period, and then the period after World War II. Oh.
0: Really have to say that
1: the oh. namers kind of went to sleep on that. Uh, well, should we come up with a name? Yes. That? Yes, we should. It's been a while since we named something. <clears throat>
0: Post Godalian. The post
3: Godalian
0: or Gerdalian? I don't know. How do you? It'd be the Gerdalian. Post Gerdalian logic.
1: I'm 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 enjoying that. I I say let's let it kind of fester in our minds. I because I wouldn't mind having something uh, that I could actually type up without looking up a Unicode character for an umlaut. Uh, True. (laughs) Okay. All right. (laughs) I. So I mean, so let's let's keep that in our mind. We can we can try to uh, could be thought up as uh, the post computational period or the computational p- period as well. Uh, both of those kind of work, and we'll see why when we actually get to it. How about we try to name it when we're actually talking about it? All right. So let's let's I uh, I mean I've said about as much about the embryonic period as we actually can say. Uh, some people were trying to form lives; they didn't really get anywhere. Okay. Uh, yeah is okay, I buy that. Yeah. Uh but then I uh, came then there came a wonderful person uh by the name I'm trying to figure out about uh, middle of the uh middle of the 19th century George Boole came onto the scene. Ah, that, Why is, is George Boole imper-
3: uh, important? Well, he wrote what was it on the laws of thought.
1: Was it the okay, that's way more information than I actually have. <laughs> yeah. I was just um, looking for the uh, is, I, I, seminal work, Mathematical Analysis of Logic. Hmm. Uh, he may have written something else. I'll look that up while you come up with the actual thing I was looking for.
0: Boolean algebras.
1: You didn't really give me much
0: time! <laughs> um, well, that, what, what, that was in the algebraic period, so... there. Oh, okay. That makes okay. sense. Boolean algebras. It's a, a, interesting that you can think of... Yeah, the the relationship between boolean algebras and fields of order 2 um I've been, I've been sort of having fun with recently, you know, to think about and becoming times and or becoming plus, is that right?
1: Mm-hmm. Yes. No. Like,
0: it, yes, yes, no, it it makes it makes sense. yeah, right. that's no, right. Yeah. Want, true and true. Okay, well, why don't we true. point out what a yeah.
1: boolean, I mean, specifically what the term Boolean really means to us, and then what Boolean algebra is the idea of.
0: Um, Well, you have a bunch of variables that that represent statements, um, and you work under the assumption that a statement is either true or false. And uh, often you can give a variable um, a value of T or F, or sometimes they do 1 or 0, where 1 is true and 0 is false. And that 1 or 0 possibility... Um, connects you to. Um, I mean, is the is the connection that, that allows you to think of it as fields of order too?
2: Yeah. There's and, one thing though. I mean, do we get the uh, distributive laws? Do we get both sets of distributive laws? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Multiplication over addition. and we'll actually get
1: it. We'll get into that when I uh, in just a second as to why we get those. Uh, but I mean, this this was very important because all of a sudden someone it's kind of odd, but someone just was like, well, we could just think of things as true and false. uh, And we can really just think of them as like symbols. Like, why don't we just use the use algebra, like, except instead of plus and multiplication and division, and these operations we usually have, we can have other operations that you think of and not implies. Yeah. that, That you think of when you think of logic and this, not only was this really the birth of mathematical logic, it was also the birth of, the idea of uh, propositional calculus right. or propositional logic. Now, what what is a propositional logic? Like, what's the idea behind it?
2: Well, I mean, I, I, it seems reasonable that it would be um, a systematic study or analysis of um, or tools that you can use to decide whether a proposition follows from, say, some premises.
1: Yeah, yeah. You don't, ah. have to look, you don't have to look so scared when you're giving me a correct answer, Chris.
2: Fitch bars. You know. okay, I mean, if you go
1: to Wikipedia, it's a system of inference rules and axioms uh, which allow certain formulas to be derived from other formulas. Okay. Uh, it, and that's – I mean, it's a basic idea. And the ones that we typically think of the most often is, is our basic formal logic, which has and, or, uh, implies, and not – uh, and we can derive the other uh, rules of inference uh, from those, right? And uh, if and means that uh, if you have two, if you have two formal statements, if you have and, they both have to be true for the for the kind of equation to be true. Or you're,
0: you're working so hard to avoid giving them variable names, and the whole point is that the algebra made it so much easier. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so if you so just... if you had p and q. <laughs> If you have P
1: and Q, then both of them have to be true for the statement to be true. P or Q, one of them has to be true. At least one. Yeah, at least one. That's
0: that's important.
1: Uh, not. it. Well, for something to be not true, it has to be not true. That's kind of a hard <laughs> statement to do. If you have not P, uh, that statement to be true, the value of P has to be false. Sure. That's the easiest Sounds way to say good. it. Uh, when you have... Uh, Implies you get slightly weird things. Uh, if you have P implies Q, if P is false, the statement is always true. Uh, and if P is true for the statement to be true, Q also has to be true. Right. You can write implies purely
3: in terms of, what is it, knots and ors. Nots, it's, just every, and ors. it's not yeah. P or Q. Not P, P or Q. yes yeah. yeah, yeah same yeah. as P implies Q. Okay.
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah, and, and yeah, that's true. You don't actually need implies, but we're going to be talking about some of the rules of inference that come from these, uh, and having implies makes it a bit easier.
0: You, you technically don't need and either. I mean, you could just have not and or, or you could just have not and and, or you could just have implies, I think, or implies and. There's, NAND is NAND. Uh, Nand, is, NAND allows you to get everything. NAND get, gives you everything? Okay.
1: Yeah, and, uh, and then the we always, and then <laughs> we have. Uh, other rules uh, it, these are the actual laws of inference uh, double negation uh, if you have not not p then you have p if you have just mm. p by itself just q by itself then you have p and q Okay. or p or q and p uh, so you can uh, essentially swap around uh, uh, your and uh, if you have Uh, P and Q, you can infer P. If you have P and Q, you can infer Q. Uh, If you have P, you can infer P or Q.
0: I I imagine the list goes on. Uh, I I mean, (laughs)
1: I'm going through the very basic ones. The I I should be giving their names too, Uh, like modus tollens, conjunction. Yeah, I'm getting to that. That was disjunct, uh, disjunction. uh, Elimination, and then you have disjunctive elimination. P, if you have P or Q, and P implies R, and Q implies R, you can have R.
0: Are they using the the, the thinks symbol with with these like no. P comma Q thinks P and Q, or what are they? No, uh,
1: the, these are l- written out. They have a list, a much even longer list, uh, and then you have modens ponens and modens tollens, uh, which are what?
2: Oh, well, they're things that we can deduce from um, a conditional. Uh, along with uh, some other fact, so if you have the statement p implies q and yeah. I'm sorry, if you have the premise p implies q and we know that not q is true, then we know that not, not q but, p. not p not must p. be true.
1: not p yeah. and if you have that's modest tonens, and modest ponens is if you have p implies q and you have p then you have q so and those are those are the basic the basic rules that you work from and that's kind of what uh Boole allowed to be built up, and then uh, De Morgan also came on the scene around this period. Uh, he was kind of important. Uh, we have the De Morgan's Law, right, uh, which was I mean is used both heavily in set theory as well as in logic when they're actually separate, which is not all that
2: often. A lot of times I wish I had a DeMorgan's button. You know, it just comes up so often I just wish I could hit a macro, you know, right. DeMorgan's macro or something.
0: <laughs> and that, you yeah. And yeah, I need Yeah, the amount of times I've had to prove DeMorgan's law or the extension <laughs> oh of DeMorgan's law. Or like, it's just like, oh, you make a freaking table. <laughs> son of a bitch. Or, and, or when you have to do the big one with the big um ors or whatever all the ord statements together or with unions Uh, and intersections i mean yeah
2: the the infinite yeah it's arbitrary though right it's over uh, the it's over arbitrary um yeah it's
0: accountable it has to be countable. i don't think so um well i mean as long as it's a if it's if it's a well-ordered index then you're then you should be able to do it indefinitely and we should be able to
2: get one right and we can always get a yeah, you well, just you just
0: in- include one Yeah, I don't
2: know, whatever Hit the excellent but- choice button <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that's right
1: <laughs> Oh uh, <laughs> Another one And uh, here's one that every person knows about Also, Mr. John Venn Was also yeah. during that period
2: Good times. I want some VIN glasses, you know, like VIN frames, the the, the, the frames themselves, the individual. Intersect, exactly. well, Intersect. in the middle. Bifocal- You've got a red and a blue or something. Well, I, was, I, was thinking,
1: the- I was thinking bifocals <laughs> are kind of like that, except they're two disjoint large ones with uh, two smaller circles that are completely enclosed in the two large ones.
0: Or I I like the idea of, you you know, I only need to be able to see distance or something, but my glasses are big and they intersect in the center. So if I'm looking normally, I can see, you know, Cody across down the hallway. If I look through the center, I can like freaking see the moon in sharp detail. Yeah. Yeah. If you could make yourself cross-eyed.
3: Well, well, now here's the question. Has anybody done a Venn diagram with more than three circles? I've never done a Venn diagram with more than 3 circles. I
0: have, but but usually it's not all 3 intersecting, you know, where there's where there's all of them. You know what I'm saying? It's it's there's multiple circles and only some of them are intersecting because you already know enough information that you know that this is a disjoint group and hmm. but yeah, I mean to to draw 4 circles intersecting and have all of the, you know, 4 choose 2 many of these and mm. Or Just three. three of, and, oh, that'd be... A, I've...
1: Uh, I think I've drawn a four. What You can draw up to five. I think before you aren't able to do it anymore. It's four or five. Oh,
0: oh I, I could see... Yeah, if you tried to do it with six.
1: Oh nope, nope, never mind. The Wikipedia thing for Venn diagram does have six.
0: I think
2: six... We're assuming discs right? or, or, or circles for our sets, right?
1: Top... Uh, it's... It, Topologically equivalent to
0: well, no, I. I mean, I'll, uh, you can get some really. I don't think that the topology is going to have the is going to be. They no have no factors. holes. Uh, this
2: is covering though is a geometric. I mean, it, you know, actually being able to draw them is a geometric uh,
0: property of do. the circles. I mean, the, the, I wonder if the four color theorem comes into play. I don't <laughs> no, 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 they're just,
1: not. They're not planar. They, they intersect. That's the idea of a yeah. Venn diagram. Well, what if we each, had a...
3: region, each region, what you would need four colors would be sufficient to identify each region under the four-color theorem then? Or... Oh,
0: well, yeah, okay.
3: Each disjoint region of the Venn
1: diagram.
0: Hmm. Yeah, whatever. I, I don't think it's too terribly important.
1: Yeah, but it's interesting, kind yeah, of. Yeah. Uh, okay, so, I mean, that's that's the beginning and then we get on to the logicist period. Uh, this is, you know, a little bit later on. This is late 19th century at this point. And this uh, period was uh, about a German mathematician named uh, Gottlob Frege. Freg, yes. Really? Is it yeah, Frege? Freg? Freg. Is yeah. that? Okay. F-R-E-G-G-E? F-R-E-G-E. Oh. Uh, <laughs> I. He, uh, he instituted a program called
0: logicism.
1: Hence the logicist period. A,
0: oh, 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 a program. Oh, got it, got it. I'm picturing like a computer program, and I was like, <laughs> something doesn't, <laughs> doesn't seem there's, there's, quite right. There's a slight anachronism there,
3: I think.
1: Yeah. <laughs> uh, he developed a, uh, or tried to develop a rigorously axiomatized system of propositional logic. Okay which we now know is impossible. <laughs> well, well it, to have it, to, he wanted it to be completely self-contained. Yeah. We know that to now be impossible, but he didn't. Uh, and this, this is actually really when a lot of the propositional calculus, which we've been talking about uh, actually came out of it because uh, there's a lot of things that uh, Boole uh, didn't allow that turned out that you kind of need to, or just were not in the Boolean logic originally. And this is also when first-order logic comes in, too. Now, what's the difference between propositional and first-order logic?
0: Is it the quantifiers? Quantifiers,
1: yes. Uh, And also uh, allowing stand-in statements and things like that. But, I mean, it's it's mostly about the quantifiers. Now, what's the importance of the quantifier?
0: Um, well, Cody, I, I want Cody to answer. Um, well, I, um,
3: I, this is this is uh, to tell you what they're important. I know the two quantifiers, universal and existential. Um, so you can you can talk about for all, um, for everything, and you can talk about there exists. And uh, those are those are pretty handy, I think. I think they're okay. Pretty never handy. mind, Nathan. We, go we, or it, Chris. It,
2: well, it, it, the quanti- having the quantifiers allows us to capture uh, certain statements that would normally not be able to be written down in a finite number of, say, conjunctions. If right. we want to say something's true about yeah. every prime number, well, then we'd want to say for all p, such that p is a prime, you know, that this thing is true. But you wouldn't be able to say that statement, you know, without the existential, I'm sorry, without the uh, universal quantifier.
1: Um, and, and also there's some statements. Uh, I mean, it allows us to also do things like uh, much stronger proof proofs by contradiction than were available to us before as well. Uh, You know, if we want to prove, uh, if we want to disprove something for all things, you would take the uh, not of for all, which, uh, you know, for all A, which is there exists at least one A such that this is not true. Or, uh, you know, there's other proofs by contradiction. Uh, reductio, Reductio ad absurdum. God, I love that. It's just it makes it sound ridiculous, but it's it's a wonderful name for uh, proof by contradiction. I sound, think Nathan
3: wants to say
2: something. Sounds like a spell from yeah. Harry
1: Potter.
0: <laughs> I don't think I'd, it'll fit on a button. I'm I'm teaching I'm teaching a course right now in essenti in, Ascens- in pretty much in this, in what we're talking about right now. Um and damn, like it is <laughs> these are very hard these are very hard to teach. Um and even harder to know when you've taught it I think or, or something you, you know like you people are nodding nodding and they seem to understand it and then and then you have to grade their homeworks and you'd rather shoot yourself you know
1: I't I mean I never fully understood the uh, hardness of learning logic it always seemed very logical to me i I, I realized the kind of uh, circular argument in that statement but the thing, like the rules made sense. They were exactly what I expected them to be.
0: right. And, and we weren't really teaching formal logic so much. We were, I mean, we did teach formal logic, but it was with the goal of them being able to prove a logical statement. So every oh. time we we give a form a type of statement, we say, here are the most common strategies for proving it. And when it's a for-all um, statement, if it's for all x, p of x there's one of your letting uh letting p represent a statement yeah uh, anyway um uh or an
1: atomic formula
0: oh <laughs> which uh, is just
1: any formula written with the basic uh you know rules of the
0: right equals language yeah you know, whatever anyway um you know you teach you teach them that the strategy is well you let this variable x represent an arbitrary element, and then you show that with this arbitrary element, p of x holds. And then you give them the statement, and they're they're just like, ah, oh my, they, I don't know, I don't know why. I mean, there's there's like a set. I, I try to just sort of algorithmize it, you know, so that this is the first thing you do when proving an implication and proving a for all statement, and it doesn't freaking doesn't happen. So, I don't know, I. I I used to have a fond place in my heart for quantifiers and logic. But <laughs> do, do you usually? I mean, when you, when you're trying to explain things, do you usually go
2: about it using it uh, or coming from like a syntactic perspective? Like, if you have a set of symbols that look like this, do this, do this, and then you'll get the result. Or do you try to also address the meaning, you know, or what what we what meaning we uh, yeah, attribute I, to the set of symbols?
0: Yeah, it, I mean, yeah, it's supposed to it's supposed to be both. Like, one of the things. One of the things that gave people so much trouble is taking a sentence written out in English and converting it into its symbolic form, and then you have to negate it and then convert it back or something, because it, strangely that's easier than just trying to negate a statement without converting into symbols, right? Would you agree with me on that, Cody?
3: Yeah. I mean, I, with a
0: like, like to to negate the statement that p is prime, I usually. It's it's hard to I don't know I don't know some no some I, I think
3: are, that I think that when you're when you're first doing it when you're first really messing around with negation, um, it's it's very handy to translate it down into symbols and then well and then yeah work because with all the rules.
1: otherwise it's it's really hard to pull through because when you have a negation in front of a statement you don't actually have to negate every single bit of that right. statement it's not like not this not that not that it's if you have a for all then it's there. Or you know, yeah. there exists exactly one that's not this, and when just, you break it down yeah. into symbols, it makes it a lot easier. Yeah,
3: but then once you gain the experience, you can just sort of do it.
0: Right. The 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 negation that it gives everybody in the world trouble is negating p implies q. Nobody can freaking do it, and and because they want it to be not p implies not q or something. No, no, no. <laughs> not q the only thing that makes it, you're trying to describe. P. No, well, no. So so you're trying to describe <laughs> y- in, in symbols the thing that makes P implies Q false. The only time yeah. P implies Q is false is when Q oh, yeah, is not Q false, not P but is the same P, P is Q. true. So you wow. need P is true and Q is false. So P implies Q becomes P and not, not Q, Q. Yeah. which...
1: I knew that, and yet I, I still I don't gave know. you the... Uh... Yeah. Uh, the
0: contrapositive which I mean, is it, the exact
1: same thing as p implies q. <laughs>
0: it's 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 a little tricky but but in my mind it's just sort of one of the one of the steps in the algorithm, that. you know? That's yeah. just like when I mean, so I don't have to think through it every time. It's just I know that this is the process and you learn the process and but they they refuse to learn the process and refuse to reason correctly. So I can't. Of I course,
1: know. I've also taken about five formal logic courses at this point, I think. And not on purpose. Like, I, I keep on ending up in classes that require me to spend the first month <laughs> of the class <laughs> relearning formal logic.
0: Yeah, I think every, every single senior level math class, the first month is formal logic and set theory.
1: It's, <laughs> like, hmm. it's like, yes, yes, I know what. Uh, you know, the, uh, power set, power set. Yeah. I know what the fucking power <laughs> set is. Thank you. I know what set subtraction is.
2: So what's an, what's an algebra though? I mean, cause I mean, I know we've been throwing around that term. I, I, there's probably a, uh, a, a
1: no, no, no. Let's, let's wait, just wait. deal with it. it. I don't really it's, know. I, <laughs> I think in this case, we're just using the idea of algebra to be a formal language with which there's, uh, you know variables and operators.
0: Okay. I no, that that's probably about. That it seems right. I've spent
1: a lot of time reading wikipedia articles over the last couple of years. I've kind of gotten the language down. <laughs> uh, okay, so we're we're coming up to the end of the logicist period. The end of it. Uh and it's it's at the end point around uh what, like 1910 or so? Uh, when Russell decides to give it a nice big kick in the ass. <laughs> uh, both with spending 362 pages proving that 1 plus 1 equals 2. Oh, and by introducing the Russell Paradox and almost completely killing off for sort Logic. Or at least the formalization project of, of Logic. Now, uh, we've talked about the Russell Paradox and uh, in class. we've What the Fuck. We've talked about the Russell Paradox on this show before. Uh, uh, it's... Who can form... I'm not... I don't have it in front of me. I can't remember the exact wording of it. Nathan, you got it in your head?
0: Um, I'm not sure which one is called the Russell Paradox. Just
1: a, an example of. Is
0: this is this the, the set containing itself thing? Yeah. Okay. Um, an example?
1: Yeah. Uh, uh, well, well, if I mean, you
0: try and collect the set of all sets then what happens is that's a set is itself. is since it if it's a set then it must be an element of itself so then you can i don't know you so you can collect the the set of all the set of all sets that don't contain themselves as that's elements.
2: that's that's what you do and, yeah
0: uh, well yeah and no, then don't if don't it, it, it doesn't contain for itself
1: for it. as an <laughs> element it has to be in it but if it's in it it can't be an element of it and
2: uh boom so we need a restriction on the types of or how we form sets and we, we, we Yeah, but we're not
1: gonna, we've we've talked right. about set theory before. We're we're talking about logic. It's just that was that was a big shock and really scared the crap out of people uh who are working on this. Uh but Russell himself even thought that he could somehow work around this using logic. And then we get into the math uh meta mathematical period the time of girdle. Uh, and this this is also when set theory and formal logic uh, start to become essentially inseparable.
0: Yeah, that's because you think of you think something being true about a set is the same thing. I, like a simple statement about a set is like for all X element of the set p of X. So so you can you can hide quantifiers. Within sets, but then you can also quantify over sets, which gives you this weird. um, Well, yeah, that's where the Russell paradox showed up. These are
1: these are actually uh, uh, things that we've we've now we're now getting into areas that we have covered extensively on combinations and permutations before. Uh, The the Hilbert program, uh, which uh, led to yeah, which failed because of Gödel's incompleteness theorem. Uh, which states that there's independent – essentially that there is independent statements,
0: right? There is independence. There are independent statements. Yes. Yes.
1: There is at least
0: one. There you go. All right.
1: <laughs> independent statement. Uh, yeah, because there is – they definitely exist. Uh, I mean, and so because of that, we cannot completely axiomatize. We cannot completely formalize the world. Right. I mean, that's that's right it's the same, and that's essentially the thing that really, uh, really is coming out at this time. And then there's also Alfred Tarski of the Bonak Tarski Paradox, uh, who was a major logician at this point. He had the uh, concept of truth in formalized languages, which is translation of his book title, which is originally in Polish. And I'm really glad that I didn't have to try to read it. Uh, And this is—he proposed a semantic theory of truth. Uh, Snow—the statement "snow is white" is true if and only if snow is white. Uh, And Hmm. so, so at this Hmm. point, he's trying. Yeah,
0: yeah. That is deep. (laughs) Yeah, but (laughs) okay.
1: That's for the Wikipedia article. I'm sure he goes a little bit more in depth in there. Uh, But I mean, this—the this the idea we're trying to now tie together some sort of meta language. Uh, Some sort of, uh, you know, actual formalizing of the semantic structure of truth at this point. We're starting to really get into deep shit, which, oddly enough, uh, is, you know, the language of consciousness, which is something that Leibniz was actually trying to put together. And so it's at this time. And then we also have Church and Turing uh, here, uh, and we have the first undecidable statements, the first things that... uh, cannot be proved or disproved i i it's the halting problem is the one that comes to mind most easily
0: well that's that's the non-computable, non-computable. Which, is, which is easy to confuse but no i yeah. mean the statement that can't be proved in in is when, when you have the statement this statement can't be proved because it can't be proved true yeah. or false and yeah sorry and, i i'm
1: i'm I, we're running a little bit short on time trying to kind of breeze through these yeah, last all right. I mean, hundred years. <laughs> I mean, the
0: halting problem is, it's very close. I
1: mean, it's and what, undecidable, uncomputable. Those, those are the two statements. And, uh, those are also very closely tied to logic as well, because we start to have non-computable things, uh, which is important because if we get to the logic after world war two section of this, <laughs> uh, this is uh, when we start having things like model theory, proof theory, computability theory, and set theory. Logic has become an offshoot of a bunch of other theories, some of which we've already talked about on this show. Uh, and and it, it's kind of spawned into that. I, I think probably the strongest use of logic right now is in formal proof machines uh, using first order, first order logic. Right? I mean, that's. I can't think of anything else that true formal logic is being used in extensively right now.
0: I don't know By what itself. you mean. By itself.
1: No, you know, proof machines. Automated proof computers. Like they use used for the
3: four-color theorem, right? No, the no, no, no. no. These, are these are
1: things where you put in the axioms of first-order logic, and they just spit out theorems. Oh, wow.
0: But none of them are worth jack shit they're At the stupidest yet. theorems they're all just like vacuously you know this i don't know they've
1: had non-vacuous results but there were results that were already known but right. but i mean give it time i mean that's the kind of idea about these things is that it takes time
2: it's pretty remarkable though i mean having a set of axioms and then some rules about how to formulate you know true statements and then all it does is spit out things that are grammatically correct and true i mean that's that's still quite an achievement um most of the string of symbols would just be gibberish, you know. Or, or
0: right, right. Uh, but I, it's not. I mean, yeah. But that's it's not that's a Google. It. It. It's
1: not a Google self-driving car. <laughs>
0: <laughs> How freaking cool is yeah. that? Did you hear about this, Cody? It's wow. not
1: a robot that's Holy controlled by shit. rat neurons.
0: Oh, that was also freaking cool.
1: Really awesome. Uh, both of those things. Seriously, Google them. They are amazing. Uh, but it's still interesting in that. As computers get faster and these machines build up larger and larger amounts of theorems that they're able to use to now prove new things, they could eventually come up with interesting results, especially if maybe they mate them with a rat neuron brain <laughs> control or a controlled robot and a Google self-driving car.
0: Or a rat neuron driving car. There it is. Given how
1: kind of tweaky that rat robot was, I don't know if I want that to
0: happen. Yeah, that's true. It was bouncing all over the place. I
1: never hit anything, but that's it came true. really close. Huh. Uh, okay, and so now let's let's just finish by coming up with some sort of a better name here. I, I kind of like uh, post Gordelian, uh, post decidable, uh, post various other things. Uh, so, so what are we gonna go with on on the show? What's what's gonna be the official combinations and permutations name for the logical period post World War II? Well, Cold the, uh, War logic. I, I'm 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 gonna I'm gonna
3: <laughs> gonna... Nope, we're done. All
1: right. Yep. <laughs> Cold War logic.
3: Thank
0: well, you. If my nukes are bigger than his <laughs> nukes. Yeah,
1: yeah. Either that or mad logic. Uh, yeah. Mutually assured yeah. destruction logic. Okay. Uh. So for Cody Palmer. Christopher Bates, Nathan Rowe, and Cold War Logic. I'm Samuel Hansen saying love the math and goodbye. Well, that is it for another episode of Combinations and Permutations. If you have any feedback or you just want to say I listen and I hate you, you can email me at samuelacmescience.com. At if you want to find out more information about the things that we talked about on today's show, head on over to acmescience.com, where you can also find out about our other show, Strongly Connected Components, where I sit down and interview some well known mathematicians. Trust me, you'll like it. Also, don't forget to leave a review in the iTunes store for us. And if you do, we will read your name on the show. The music on today's episode is, as always, from SP12. You can find them over at opsound.org. I suggest it. bunch of their stuff. Really good. Finally... This episode is a Creative Commons attribution share-alike licensed podcast. So please feel free to take this wonderful voice you're hearing right now and mix it into an amazing rap song. Just make sure you say where you got it from. Thanks for listening. Have a great day.